Titus 2, 11 through 15. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all the lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are as zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. Good morning, everyone. Can you believe it? It's the last Sunday of 2019. It's the last Sunday of the teens. It's going to be 2020. 20 years removed from 1999. Our church will be three years old next week. We have three years old, three years of experience of following the Lord together. Three years of battles. Three years of victories as well. God has been faithful to us. God's presence has always been here with us. And God will continue to be faithful because that's who he is. He's a God who loves us. He's a God who has redeemed us. And he's a God who never gives up on the people that he has saved. As you take time, hopefully, to reflect upon 2019, I pray that you will see God's hand in every part of your life that you have seen his faithfulness, that even in your shortcomings, that even in those times where you have willfully sinned against God, that you see or have seen God's hand of mercy (laughs) restraining you from being even more evil than you already are or could have been. But at the same time, using your weaknesses to show you his love in your life. Each year as you get older, our hope is that God's character, personhood, takes on a more distinctly gracious and loving character, person in our lives. That Jesus you knew last year, a decade ago, is not the same Jesus that has now been revealed to you today. And what Jesus has revealed to you today about who he is Rejoice in that. And have the eager expectation that 10 years from now, that that Jesus who reveals even more to you will become even more sweeter and precious in your life. 
that's who we worship. That's who we are here today. And that's why the title of this message is The Sweetness of Grace. That when we approach the throne of God and when we see his grace that has appeared, that no longer do we taste the bitterness of justice or the bitterness of punishment. But we taste the sweetness of a loving God who dares draw near to us. In Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15, Paul gives us a glimpse of what this grace looks like and what this grace requires and how this appearance of grace and these requirements of grace are nothing less than sweetness or joy to the believer. Verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Paul is very simple here as he teaches Titus about the truths of the doctrines of God and about the truth of, of what he needs to handle well in order to teach others. And the fact of the matter is is that God's grace is not hidden, but God's grace has appeared. And God's grace is seen and visible to all of us here who believe in Jesus. Now this isn't apparent for many people. For many people, the appearance of Jesus is not as obvious. Last night, uh, my son and I were watching this video on physics. He wanted to know music and physics. And one of the experiments they do is they, they see how people can hear from, I think, 10 decibels up to like, or sorry, 10 megahertz, up 10, 10 fre frequency of 10 up to like a frequency of 10,000 or something like that. But that only the younger kids can hear the higher frequencies. And the older you get, the less you can hear of those higher frequencies. So on the, the YouTube video, this guy cranked it all the way up and was slowly bringing it down. I couldn't hear anything. And you can see the audience members, they had older people and younger people. And once you could hear it, the younger kids all raised their hands. And then as they kept on lowering it, Chase heard it. And obviously, I didn't hear it. But then once it got lowered to a certain point, you heard it, and it was a shrieking noise. It was the worst. It's like nails on a chalkboard. And it became apparent that the sound was present to my ears. For us as God's people, we must not only hear, but see that God is always present. That God has sort of 
open our ears to the right frequency, open our eyes to the, to the right spectrum of light to see God. And there is no doubt in the believer's mind that God is here, that God has appeared. This is joy to us on this Christmas day, or this Christmas season, I should say, as we still remember the birth of our Savior, Jesus. That no one has seen God until Jesus appeared and made him known. And the appearance of Jesus made him who was transcendent and all-powerful into someone who became like one of us and meek and humble. It is sweet to know that this God has appeared to us. But it's sweeter to know the purpose of why God has come for us. There is no reason why God should not have come the first time with simple judgment. The one of the most remarkable parts of the Bible is that the Bible didn't simply end at Genesis chapter 3. It would have been a shorter book for all of us, but none of us would be here to have read it. It would have been, there is no reason why history did not simply end at Genesis chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord, the Lord had every right to simply say, experiment over. I will appear, but I will appear as the angel of judgment or the angel of death. I will appear with the sword and not with the olive branch. I will appear to exact judgment upon the people. God appearing for us as believers is sweet because we understand Jesus' first coming and its purpose. It says here in Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. God has appeared to bring salvation for you. Do you know that you need saving? Do you know that you need to be rescued? Do you know that not only has God saved you that first time you came to believe, but God continues to save you? And that the salvation that he brings to us is not only the salvation, the, the forensic salvation, the legal salvation that we talked about, that God has saved you 
from your sins, from your enmity towards God and placed you in the place of justice. But God has saved you from something else and will continue to save you. He's saving you from your own passions. He's saving you from your own desires. He's saving you from what the world's, from the world's wisdom. In verse 12, he's training us up to renounce all ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. It is when we taste simply the sweetness of God. Now, let me put it this way. It's when you taste God and it still is sweet to you. It's when you understand how much God loves you. I was going through my Facebook um, news feed. Um, the way I do my news feed is I just look at it I scroll like once or twice and I'm done or else I, I go crazy. But someone had put this quote by Tim Keller. And this quote, this paraphrase, something like this. The world lies to us by saying that everyone should find their own passions and their own reason to exist. Everyone has a right to feel satisfied with who they are and what God and, and, and what they want to do. That all people need to become their authentic self. And when we hear that, we hear that that, that sounds good to me, even as Christians. But Keller goes on to say this is that if we continue to seek only our authentic self without sacrifice of ourselves for another. Then several things happen. One, you will never find community because you'll always be forcing other people to be like you. <coughs> Number two, you'll become selfish in all things purpose of community is for me to find my authentic self and number three because you can't find community you will be alone and miserable does that sound sweet to you does that sound sweet to any of us What looks like wisdom in this world, God is training us up to see as lies or even distortions of partial truths. That to look for sort of authenticity of who we are, to look to sort of grow ourselves without any sacrifice in itself, it's one of the worst things that you can do for your own soul and the worst thing that you can do for, for, the, for the family of God. 
Now, I know that this is a response to sort of how I grew up. When I grew up, it was, it was very simple. If you wanted to be a Christian, if you are a Christian, you sacrifice everything. Everything. If I want to become a pastor, then I have to sacrifice everything. If I want to help other people, I need to sacrifice family. I need to sacrifice finances. I need to sacrifice everything. But there are extremes to that as well. Both are extremes that the world tells us. But both lead to what? A bitter taste of God's grace. On my hand, growing up, it's resentment towards God. Towards other people. For not looking at me for my sacrifice. For this generation, same thing, resentment of God. And resentment of other people, but not because they don't recognize my sacrifice. It's because they're not authenticating who I am. But the salvation that God brings to us is always sweet. And we know when we are deviating from the path of God's grace. When sacrifice becomes a chore for all of us. There's joy in knowing God. There's joy in renouncing ungodliness. There's joy in renouncing our worldly passion. There's joy in living, as he says here, a self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. That is what he's called us to. To live lives here that reflect what God has saved us from and saved us too. And we must deny and mortify these passions in order to continue to grow with one another. And that's why verse 13 really helps us to understand the psychology of, of living the Christian life. For the salvation is not only renouncing, but the salvation is waiting. Waiting for our blessed hope in verse 13, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 14, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Have you ever tasted a good steak? My mouth is watering already. And you know the steak that you're eating, perhaps it's someone that a friend of you made, a friend of us made for you, perhaps it's a restaurant that you've been at. And it's 
It's just delicious. But what if someone told you of a rumor that there's a steak in this way off place that's better than any steak in this world? And then one day, you'll get to taste it. I know what our conversations will be like. It'll be like, when we have our steak dinners together, it'll be like, oh, this steak is good, but man, I can't wait. We had that appointment 20 years from now from that great restaurant where we're going to go and get the best steak in the world. And every time we would eat that steak together, we'd be thinking, how could that steak be better than what we have right now? And there will be a joy in just enjoying what we have today, but a greater joy in waiting for the eager expectation of, of something that's just unthinkable. But there's sweetness in that anticipation. There's joy in that anticipation. There's joy in the present. There's joy in the future. For us as God's people, it's not only simply enjoying the fellowship that we have here as we fight to renounce our worldly passions, but it's in knowing that as God slowly and slowly matures us here, slowly, slowly gives us a taste of his grace and his love, that we know there's something greater for us. And that every time we taste of his goodness now, the only thing we can think about is I can't wait till the Lord returns and we see him clearly without vestiges of sin that we can taste the goodness of his grace fully. This is how we know that the grace of God has appeared in our lives. This is how we know that the, the sweetness of God exudes in our hearts. That every time that God reveals himself to us, we are not satisfied, but we long for the greater taste of God himself. Do your hearts long for him? your hearts acknowledge the goodness that he shows you here and are you not longing for its perfections in heaven and the sweetness thereof 2019 has come to pass for some of you it might have been a very trying year and I'm not going to try to divine what God is doing in your lives but I do know this is that God does so because he loves us in his timing in his wisdom in his love for each and every one of you. I know he's shown you a taste or a longing 
for God and his perfections. So let those longings grow. Let those longings mature. And let those longings be sweet. For you know that God is no tease, is he? He's not a tease. We know that God has appeared, but he doesn't appear as a judge. He doesn't appear as a jokester. God appears as a God who saves. And so may those longings for the appearance of our Lord not be bitter, not be cavalier, May they whet your appetites. May that give you joy. 2020 is coming upon us. I don't know what God has in store for any of us. None of us do. But our duty is all the same. God has appeared. God has appeared to save. God continues to save us from ungodliness and worldly passions. God continues to show us by his grace and his mercy great signs of his love but that God also has revealed to us that all of these things are just appetizers to what he wants to give us in heaven. And that these longings that we have are good, healthy, sweet longings that sustain us until he returns. So, my brothers and my sisters here at CCPC, let us enjoy God. Let us enjoy the grace that He has given us. And let us enjoy the fellowship that God has provided. Let's pray.